0: Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles Podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine fingered host, Dan Johnson. Ah, four day weekend. Hopefully everybody's having a great Friday. I don't know about you guys, but I have a four day weekend. Hopefully, you guys have a four day weekend. Uh, I am looking forward to it. Uh, going to be doing a lot of family time. Going to be doing a lot of, I don't know, fishing, hiking, playing outside, getting the kids wet in the river. I don't know, just hanging out, being dad, being a husband, uh, you know, putting all the podcast and hunting stuff to the side for about four days really going to enjoy uh the time away from work uh and just have an overall awesome weekend it's a holiday weekend it's the fourth of july Uh, we get an opportunity to celebrate this kick-ass country of ours and uh, we do so with fireworks and family and uh those are two cool things, I guess, but today's podcast, man, we're going to be talking with the owner of Heads Up Decoy, and I want to tell you right now, this story is a really cool story uh, It about a guy who goes with his gut, and he decides he wants to start a product Um, out of passion, his his love for hunting, and uh, so the story is really cool, and uh, we BS just a little bit with him about uh, not only the product, but uh, uh, how he got his start, and uh, a little bit about hunting as well, so just an awesome kick-ass podcast as usual, man, and uh, so there's that, but before we get into today's podcast, let's hear from Keith Dvorznak the owner and president of ripcord arrow rests about what the benefits of having a drop away arrow rest are well the benefits of a drop away rest is you have less arrow contact on that rest which gives you better accuracy um tighter groups especially at longer distance um it also allows you to get away with a little more hand torque and guys that punch the trigger or anything um Like I said, less arrow contact on that launcher, the more accurate it's going to be. And there you have it. If you guys want to find out more information about Ripcord, please visit ripcordarrowrest.com and take a look at all the products they offer. If you want to dig a little deeper and put the products in your hand, go find a local dealer, go to your bow shop, more than likely have one there, mess around with it, put it on your bow and then leave the store with it after you pay for it. Uh and there's that. Now, let's get up. Let's get up. Let's get in to today's podcast with Heads Up Decoy. All right, on the phone with me now from Heads Up Decoy, Garrett Rowe. How you doing today, Garrett? I'm good.
1: Thanks for having me, Dan. It's uh it's an honor to be on your podcast. I really excited when you reached out to me. I was
0: I was tickled. Well, I tell you what, um, we've had a guy on before by the name of Travis Glassman. Shout out to Travis. Uh, he, I don't know how many times we discussed it, but any time that I would reach out to him, uh or we would have some kind of uh, Facebook discussion. He's like, man, you got to get uh, Garrett on from Heads Up. That product is awesome. I love that product. I love that product. And uh, he's produced with it out in uh, northwest uh, Northwest Kansas, and he, he lays down some slobs every year. So I'm like, you know, if uh, Travis says it's good, it's got to be good. So uh, here we are. Right. Yeah. There's proof in the pudding there, you know,
1: I mean, uh, he's, uh, he's got a track record of making it work and, Absolutely.
0: Uh, he's good at it. So him and his wife. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so, no doubt. So this is, you know, your typical product, uh, uh, podcast, but, uh, before we get into heads up and, uh, how that all came about, how was your personal 2016 season? my personal 2016 season was probably
1: one of my best um i don't i usually uh i usually go on one trip and out of state usually elk usually elk and and then i you know concentrate on you know kansas deer um, and turkeys you know so I shot a turkey which isn't a big deal i mean a lot of people shoot turkeys that's um and then i drew an arizona elk tag and this is my second trip down there first time was kind of it was kind of a nightmare but uh this one was not uh i actually um shot shot an elk you know fairly early in the season with my bow it was um typical you know uh elk hunting fashion you know you were roving through uh, the woods in Arizona and we were calling trying to get a response and one blows up like we were hunting like on the edge of the rim literally on the edge of the Arizona rim if anybody is familiar with that and these, these elk I think were bedded on the on the ledge of that rim and this bull elk come right over the top of it right into our call decoy setup and I shot him at 30 yards and uh he ran down the hill and fell over dead and I was happy Man. and uh and, and then for, for the Kansas deer season, uh, I shot a, I shot a respectable whitetail buck. He was around 150. Uh, I, I still think 150s are big deer and, Absolutely. uh, uh, I'd seen bigger. I was after bigger, but you know how that is. It just, it never materialized. And I had an opportunity at the buck that I ended up killing and I took it.
0: So, right. Absolutely. Yeah. So you gotta, you gotta, take those, oppor- you gotta t- take those opportunities, uh, when they present themselves for sure. Oh, for
1: sure. Yeah, no doubt. And, uh, he had, he just, it was a perfect setup for my decoy and, and it, everything was, everything happened. Well, let me just tell you, let me rewind a little bit. Yeah. So, um, going back to the elk hunt, you know, just before I shot this bullet, he's standing out there sixty yards and rips out a big old bugle. Right. Then he walks into bow range and I shoot him and and I was pretty proud of myself on the shot because I actually used archery as a you know, the archery science. You know, I was a limb between me and him and I knew that my arrow was gonna fly right over the top of him and I put my pin right on that limb that was like twenty yards, and my arrow just drifted right over the top of it and centered it right in the chest at 30 and ran off and then for this for my deer hunt in kansas uh i snuck up onto this buck he was bedded with a doe and we'll probably get into this part of it later in the podcast and he snort wheezed at me at 25 30 yards (laughs) i couldn't get a shot at him one of the coolest things that that was probably one of the coolest things i've i've ever witnessed was was that buck snort wheezing at me it
0: right. was really cool right i tell you when so, when uh some of these animals are vocal you know when you when we think of whitetail we think of a very quiet animal but when they're comfortable sure. and they, at times aggressive a, a whitetail buck being aggressive a snort wheeze is a very rare thing to hear in the timber my opinion yes or I guess, in, I guess I guess not necessarily timber where you're where where you're hunting at, but uh, um, what what is the terrain? You're where you hunt in Kansas. What's that like? I would con- I would consider
1: it to be broken, um, and it's a mixture of river bottom, and you can put rivers in quotes. Okay, that's we yeah. call them rivers out here, but they're not like Iowa rivers or Missouri right. rivers. Okay, they're they're creeks, um, and but but they're labeled as rivers. Uh, So, and then we'll have pasture ground, which native grass uh, with pokey things, not necessarily cactuses, but some cactuses, barrel cactuses, some, oh gosh, what are those paddle cactus thing? I can't, I can't remember exactly what they're called. And, and then uh, uh, like yuccas and we'll get CRP grass and then cropland, obviously. Right. Right. So that is, and, and it's not as flat as what I, I drove to Indianapolis a couple of weeks ago and where I live is not nearly as flat as Southern Indiana. Right. Um, it's, it, it's got rolling hills. Our horizon is flat, but we have lots of rolling hills and draws and, and canyons and things like that. And, uh, and so it's, it's kind of a, it's, it's a mixed bag bag of everything really. Uh, it's kind of, it's really awesome. I mean, I really love it out here and, You can have whatever whatever kind of a hunt you want. You can kind of have it out here,
0: right? Absolutely. Now, um, where do the you know in that area that you hunt? Where are the deer typically bedding, and what is their food sources for the most part? Food sources for the
1: most part would be uh, corn, dry land corn, milo. That's usually early dry corn. They'll, they'll graze on that stuff all year long, you know, when the corn, you know, gets knocked down and, and there's still, uh, co- you know, unharvested cobs laying out there. Uh, milo, they love milo late summer until it gets cut. And a lot of times they won't leave until the combine almost runs them over out of those milo fields. So they love milo. Yeah. Uh, and then like once that winter wheat really starts to kind of take a stand, they kind of transition out of that and then they go to winter wheat and there's obviously, obviously there's, there's, uh, um, we have alfalfa bottoms and things like that too. So the alfalfa is good when it's green, but once it, you know, it freezes and, and turns brown, then they, they abandon that really fast. So
0: right. but that's what they eat. Yeah. So we do have so where, some
1: dry land corn. So, yeah.
0: So where do they spend, like, where do they spend most of their time bedding at?
1: Well, Um, I always feel like they spend their time bedding, um, in thickets and, and pastures and places where they can get sun and light grass or, you know, edges. Right. You know, um, a lot of it I think has to do with, you know, kind of how the sun hits them. And, uh, but I see river bottom land, unless there's a lot of, unless it's really thick, I see them more just traveling river bottoms, in my opinion, uh, than actually, you know, staying right in the, right in that, you know, bottom area.
0: Right. For sure. For sure. Uh, yeah, my uncle, he lives in Southeast Kansas and it is a lot of pasture ground. Um, not a lot Mm -hmm. of egg and it's all, all the, the only trees are really in the river bottoms and that's where a majority of the deer are traveling. So, um, uh, completely different world than what I'm used to. You know, I got like a, a, a mixture of big timber and, and egg field timber or, egg uh, field fingers and whatnot, but, uh, right. but generally your environment, right. The environment that you hunt in, uh, or, you know, anybody in general, if they are going to, um, produce some kind of a product, right. They're going to come up with an idea for a product, Um, their Mm -hmm. environment influences that is for sure. (laughs) Did your environment transitioning to heads up now, did your environment help influence you create heads up decoy?
1: Um, later on it did. Yeah. Um, so I have been, you know, I was a tree stand hunter my whole life, right? Um, up until, 2008, I think 2008, 2007, and so the idea of so I kind of you know I mean we've talked and or we've read and and there's just so much information about whitetail hunting out there and how to do it and most people I'd say 99% of people hunt from a tree stand you know maybe that's a little high but I mean it's got to be way up there majority. yeah, the the, the 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 whitetail hunting thing uh as it is me, for me now was not on the radar. It was not like how I hunt them now. Um okay. the only, the reason I came up with heads up decoy was because I started elk hunting. Okay. And I knew and what was on the market at the time I started elk hunting was uh, I knew it would work, but I didn't think it needed to be what it was. I, I, I mean, I hunted, you hunted a lot of times you're hunting in dark timber, uh, after about three days in the Colorado Rockies, you're down to a knife, water and weapon, you know, um, yeah. you know, you and fluff things or other accessories, they stay at the camp. If you're not seeing elk or hearing elk. Right. Right. And so the whole idea, like, was to come up with a, a partial body decoy that you could, you didn't have to stake to the ground or deploy. It was already ready and you could stick it out and hold it out, provide some movement uh, because the timber was so thick that, you know, a, an elk could be in bow range and, and even deer. can They can be in bow range and they're still only a partial of their portion of their body is exposed to you for you to get a shot or not get a shot right. and that was kind of the whole philosophy I just wanted a bull I wanted an. I wanted a product or a decoy that I could in the moment would be ready on demand something I could run with if I had to and then something that I could operate Yeah. and get the bull's attention and it didn't and all it needed to be is just something to validate there's a cow there making those sounds now that was the whole idea now I knew that I needed more and most of the time when people think about big game decoys at the time maybe for me I thought antelope oh everybody antelopes or hunts antelope with a decoy which isn't really true either but there is a a decoying part of antelope hunting and so I threw the antelope decoy in there and then it took a while for me to get the design down, um, right. and and how to structure the decoy to make it functional and 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 hold up through the rigors of a hunt uh, or multiple hunts for sure, multiple mm-hmm. hunts. And then and then once I kind of got that elk decoy down, and the antelope, the, the antelope and the mule deer doe were really easy to come up with, and I knew that the mule deer doe out where I live would be. Ridiculous, and it has been ridiculous. Uh, so I don't hear every story because people are pretty protective of what they shoot or the stories that they tell or where they hunt. It's just the reality out here sometimes.
0: Right. And
1: um, but I've run into some people at different shows or different events um, or whatever a 3D or something, and I've seen them lip my name you know, I've read their lips reading my name (laughs) and they would come up to me and one, I can, I'm thinking about one, one older gentleman come up to me and literally had a photo album of that, the mule deer that they killed with my decoy. Yeah. Never heard a peep out of him. Not one single word, you know? Yeah. He was at full draw. He thought this big one was behind the this barn, he was at full draw waiting for it to step out. And the little one come up and bump the decoy while he was at full draw. Like, I never hear stuff like that, you know? I mean, and so, so the mule deer doe, uh, was the third decoy I came up with and, and it's produced and created a lot of great opportunities for, and great stories for people. And it's, it's kind of changed the game for, you know, mule deer hunters out here. Um, and, and then, then I came up with the whitetail doe because, you know, the whitetail market's the largest. Yep. And so the doe was, cause, and I didn't come up with a buck until, because I couldn't figure out how to make antlers. You know, I yep. was, it took me a long time to figure out how to make an antler for this and then not have it be part of the decoy. Uh, and one day I was just hunkered down in a milo field one morning hunting and I, I figured out how to how to do it. And so in 2010, I came up with my white tail buck decoy and that changed my life yeah. for bow hunting. Okay. It changed my bow hunting life right there at that moment. The Turkey was back in 2009, 2010 as well. Uh, but the, the, the white tail buck, you know, they've all changed my life for the better or for the worse. Obviously heads up decoys, huge part of my life now. And it's, constantly on my mind but the whitetail buck um has changed the way that i bow hunt probably as long as i'm physically able
0: really okay yeah so i want to go back just a second though and talk about that initial um you know you you, there there's a moment where you decide to follow through on an idea um and you mentioned that you were up in the you know you're up L cunning, um, did you fail several times, or, or get busted several times, or couldn't get the the bull in close enough several times that made you say, "Man, I need a decoy with me, and I need it to be diff. I, I need it to be smaller than the other decoys on the market."
1: Um. Well. I don't know. Failure, you could, you could classify the failure component and we were miserably, uh, we failed miserably getting into elk. Yeah. Okay. Period. I, we, I still do. It's hard. I mean, you know, Colorado over the counter units are hard to hunt and some people are really good at it. Um, we are getting better at it. You know, we've had some really, we've, we've had some success, lots of failure. That's just kind of how, how it is. But, there was two moments in my life where I thought about heads up decoy. One was a public land whitetail hunt in Kansas. When I was packed in about a mile from the road from my vehicle, uh, in a, just one solitary tree. And I was watching all these deer moving out in the pasture. And, and I, I knew that I couldn't carry a three, a loud 3d decoy to that tree stand. I didn't want to, I could, but I didn't want to. Right. And, and I, I was like, you know, I could put a, a a decoy on a stick, just a head, like a lollipop and just stick it in the ground high enough to peek over the grass and simulate a bed of dough. And I would, and then, and maybe clip it to a tree or something like that. And, and then I left it at that 1999, I was 1999. And then when I started elk hunting, um, you know, and I don't mean this in any, in, in a bad way at all, um, you know. The Primo's Truth videos are awesome. Yeah. I mean those those elk videos are freaking awesome. But that is it's it's hard to find that type of an elk hunt. And
0: yeah. Well, they're, so when uh, we, I'm, I'm pretty sure they're using outfitters, you know. Oh, for definitely. Low, oh, yeah. yeah. Low pressure, low pressure. Yeah. Um yeah. and that's what you see on a lot of the TV shows. Yeah. yeah. We we talk about uh-huh. that all the time on the, on this podcast, you know, yeah. as um Low pressure, highly managed ground versus probably what you're going and, and, you know, being frustrated because the the elk are really high and really far from the roads.
1: Yes. You may get one day, one day where it's, you know, falls out. Everything, I mean, every tree is bugling or whatever. You may get one day, maybe two, if you're lucky, three. And that's it. And that's if you're really covering a lot of ground. And and so we were looking at uh, what do we need? What potentially could help us? And then, you know, the decoy thing kind of came up. And and when I went up there, I'm like, okay, there's no meadows up here. There's no places I can see a long ways. I'm seeing 60, 70, 80 yards max. You know, my brother's standing Twenty yards from me. And if he's standing there, I can't see him. You know, it's, it's, you can lose your partner really fast. And I'm like, you don't need that. All you need is just something small that you can carry every day, either whether you're hunting from the truck or you're backpacking, you know, six miles back into the wilderness. And so I was telling my boss this at the time and he had, and I don't know that, I don't know, just very coincidental, I guess. Um, I guess that I was telling him about this. I said, I think you just need like a head, just a, you know, of an elk decoy. And I think it would work. And he goes, well, the guy that's roofing my house has an elk farm 20 miles north of here, Garrett. I was like, you're shitting me. And I said, no. And he goes, no. And so I called him. He said, yeah, no problem. Come up, take as many pictures as you want. And so, that was when the whole process started, and and that's kind of how. now was 2006, 2007 when we started, when we, me and the turd in my pocket, started developing this this product now known as Heads Up Decoy.
0: Okay, so you went to an elk farm. You took some pictures of some elk. Did you have any past experience? So what were you doing before Heads Up Decoy? I mean, did you have? I mean, was it kind of a, a similar from a material standpoint? No. So it was a completely new idea for you, a a completely different path in the road.
1: Yes, for sure. I am, I'm a hunter first, I'm a bow hunter first and I have heads up decoy also. I mean, I enjoy shooting animals with my bow. Um, and so yes, heads up decoy is that's, I started that all from ground zero, from conception. Basically, I had no experience. I mean, I literally spent hours and hours and hours finding different suppliers. I've gone through I don't even know how many different suppliers over the course of since I've started Heads Up Decoy and and uh, to get it to the point that it is now, and it still has a long way to go. I mean, it's it's still. You know, we still, in my opinion, aren't selling as many as we should. Uh, you know, um, because they're so they are effective and they and they do work. But, um, yeah, I started all this with no. I, I had, I had, I had no experience in anything, other than healthcare. And and <laughs> luckily, luckily, Dan, there are beautiful people in this world that are willing to help you. Yeah. And, yeah. and so I walked in to this place, I mean, and I don't want to encourage people. I'm not saying this to get, to encourage people to get into the outdoor industry because it's tough. It's, it's not, in my opinion, what it appears to be on social media. It's hard. Uh, yeah. and, and it's watered down and, and there's, a, you know, it's, it's tough and but at the time, it wasn't like it was now. Facebook was just kind of beginning to, you know, kind of kick in. But um, I walked into this. I I kept making phone calls because I knew if I kept making phone calls, Dan, that eventually somebody would know something. Yeah. And, that is, and that's essentially what happened. We had uh, some people here in town that, you know, made athletic apparel, uh, braces and things like that, well-known and I didn't even think about them and I walked in and I had a, this guy looked at my just absolutely ridiculous prototype that was so sad and so pathetic and he looked at me in the eye and he he took me serious yeah and so then, so I always blame him for everything now. I said, you know, <laughs> if it wasn't for you and he's, he's an older fellow, he's, I think he's in his mid sixties or something like that, just awesome guy and always picks up the phone and always helpful. And, and he's, he's been around the world a million times with, you know, and he, he understands, you know, suppliers and, and. He's touched a lot of people uh, all over the world, you know, or, or been in contact with a lot of people. He knows how to communicate. Just, you know, he's a guy that, you know, I, he, he's been so helpful. And so that's kind of how it all started, really. I mean, I learned a lot from him, and and then, you know, the school of hard knocks teaches you a lot too.
0: Right, right. So, this what. <laughs> What was this first prototype made out of? You know, you went in, you went into this guy, uh, I mean, was it like cardboard cutout with a a picture painted (laughs) on it or, or what was it?
1: Pretty close. Yeah. It was a, it was a bed sheet. Okay. With a, with a, with a Sharpie, a blue Sharpie marker, um, traced around this pathetic plastic frame that I designed that had way too many parts in it and, and. And I showed him, and I asked him if he could sew around it. And he goes, "Yeah, we could sew it." I go, "I don't have a picture on this. You're just gonna have to imagine an elk." He goes, "But could you?" He goes, "Yeah, we could probably sew something around." And then he kind of was fiddling around and, and telling me about some of the plastic stuff because I was just kind of telling him some of some of the things that I was having problems with at the moment. He goes, "You know what? If you uh, if you come in with some stuff, you know, we'll sew it for you." Because at the time, my mom was sewing some of my prototypes. Okay. And and then that's then i think it was like six months later i walk in with a totally different prototype in fact the one that i have right now as far as like the elk image um and he was like holy shit you know this is a huge improvement yeah we'll make these for you (laughs) and and he's an outdoor guy he likes to fish and hunt and, and and he's intrigued with that you know and so that was an easy sell for me and so right. at, at that point then it's just kind of been
0: it's you know, the rest is history. So So was this a was this something that you know, typically before a businesses even make it to be considered a, a business, they go through some kind of research and development stage to justify that the amount of time, energy, and money that they're they're about to start putting into a company is going to pay off in the long run. Did that ever cross your mind or did you believe so strongly in this these prototypes that you just knew that by grinding you were going to it was going to take off?
1: Um I knew that somebody was going to do it if I didn't. Yeah because uh, I, I felt that strongly about the concept and people still I mean I'll go to trade shows and stuff and people still go so those things really work and I just want to say so bad nah I just you know put this ginormous <laughs> uh, burden on my family and my life just so I could pull a practical <laughs> joke on <it>. <laughs> 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 yes they work I would not yeah. be here if they did not work and right. and they work and and so and I have under when I first developed them Dan I I didn't know how good they did work. We learned a lot of shit man.
0: Yeah. That's the awesome. only reason
1: why I'm saying that word is because I've heard you guys say it on this podcast before. <laughs> <laughs> well, i tell you what, if that's the only word
0: you've heard, then uh, then you need to listen to more podcasts. <laughs> I've heard a couple other ones
1: too, but that one, so, so, but yeah, so, so that's really, I, I, all that stuff was like, okay, I got to get it out of here. Let's just learn as we go.
0: Right. It was so, essentially Dan is kind of how I, and I'm so, not recommending that to anybody. Right, right. So my 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 question is, uh, and I keep going back to these prototypes. But were you out in the field hunting with a silhouette, or you know, bed sheet? with a bedsheet on it? No, no. But I no. think you could
1: kill one with a bedsheet. Okay, just a, so, a brown one. But don't tell anybody that. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: What what kind of what kind of testing did you do in the field before you said, you know what, I'm gonna the, I'm I'm going all in with it.
1: Um, the only test was: Is it gonna? Can it make it into the wilderness and back right. without breaking? That was the test.
0: All right. That so was. You, so how did you and test it? Just go on hikes and mess around with it? Up. No, you know? I took
1: it on elk hunts and we used yeah. it and and it and it did it 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 held up and so at that point it was just a matter of getting people to, to, um, believe in the concept and most bow hunters, I, I think, I think most bow hunters, and I'm not saying all, but I think the majority of bow hunters will, let me just say this. Every bow hunter has been in a situation where they've seen a deer or an elk or whatever cross in front of them and they hadn't seen the whole animal. Yeah. And that was our entire concept. You don't need, you need, so So when I was building these, and and it's kind of refreshing because I forget all this stuff. I don't need, I forgot all of this because it's been a while. I mean, and so when I was developing this, I didn't want a blob. I didn't want to make a decoy that looked like a blob. I wanted it to have some shape and some defining features that gave it some realism even you know as much as a partial body decoy could possibly have i wanted to i wanted it to to have those features i wanted there to be some shape to it so when it was presented to an animal that you're trying to decoy when they saw it they recognized the the shape of it they you know and and it wasn't just some type of a blob i think the shape is very important and that's really kind of how i started all this and 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 i think our mule deer doe or a white-tailed buck, I mean, they kind of, and, and the elk, and the, they kind of epitomize that philosophy. They have shape and contour and defining features that when seen from a, a, a distance, whether it be 500 yards or 60 yards, that they can say, hey, there's, that's one of me.
0: Right, right. All right, so... You came up with this idea, right? You finally talked someone into making it for you. Uh Um, You know, you you don't necessarily... I talked somebody
1: into sewing it for me. (laughs) Right, right. Sewing it for you. Yeah, yeah. So, Uh, yeah,
0: you have a product now, but you don't have any clientele, uh, which is kind of important when you're starting a business. It is important. What did... uh, How long did it take for you to get people to get one of these in their hands, and then what was the initial reaction? Was Was it, uh, yeah, I guess this works, or was it just like, a, oh, my God, uh, I'm never hunting without one of these again?
1: That took a while to get to that point. Yeah. Um, so in 2009, I went to the ATA show. People, they looked at it. I sold a handful of them online made a couple other connections and proposals with some other influencers out there, uh, developed a pro staff. And I don't want, uh, I don't want all your listeners to hang up now. Um, you know, or, or turn you off, you know, you have to have some people out there using your stuff Yeah. and, and, and some of the miscon there are, there are bona fide pro staffers out there, but there's also legitimate guys. And I'd like to think that all the guys that, that are i would consider to be pro staff they use it because they know the decoy can help them right and they're not going to lie to you right. um and and so once we developed that and then we started getting some video and in 2009 i walked up onto a mule deer buck and cut milo field after four hours of trying to get this thing to come to me his doe kept walk; it kept cutting him off literally like no you're not going to see her you're not Okay. And then he'd start kind of moseying on and she'd get up. She goes, no, I told you, you're not going to see her. And, uh, and so we started getting a little bit of rain. It was getting cold. And, and the buddy that was filmed says, why don't you just walk up or see if you can just, and just see if you can shoot him. It's cold. And I'm hungry. You know, it was literally at that. I mean, we've yeah. been out there for four hours and I said, okay. So they kind of stood up and they started feeding. And then I stepped over the Milo field with the decoy, and at that time, I developed the decoy, the bow mount, and the uh, clamp, which is part of the things that help the decoy operate. And I had to have Going the decoy in my bow mount. And so this mule deer, buck, and doe were just kind of feeding. And I just would, when they'd put their heads down, I would step over the top of the milo stocks um, and close the distance. And they'd, you know, they'd go back to doing what they did. They'd look up at me. And then... I was, when they were kind of coming up, I'd kind of squat down and, and eventually I got to 30 yards of this buck. I probably could have got closer, Dan, but that's the first time I think anybody's ever done something like that. Certainly for me, I felt weird. It was a very bizarre feeling because there was nothing between me and that buck besides that decoy and air. And, you know, the Milo stocks were at my knees. And so I thought, Hey, he's relaxed. I'm at 30 yards. I can make this shot. And then I shot him. Yeah. And we caught all that stuff on film. Now, keep in mind that deer, that buck and that doe had seen that decoy for several hours. So they had already accepted me as one of them. So I probably could have gotten closer. I didn't know that, that at the time, but now I, I, I kind of know that And now I, I, I understand that, you know, they've already determined that, no matter how funky I do kind of look a long time ago, I convinced them that I was a mule deer doe. Yeah. So that was in their mind. And then, uh, so that was 2009. So, and we got that on video. It's on my YouTube channel. And, and, and so that was kind of a, that was a revolutionary type of, uh, deal there. And then we took the show to the Denver ISE show and we had, some footage i mean we had we had deer footage and we had some other stuff antelope footage uh and people would stop and they'd see the footage and then they were, we'd explain the philosophy and the concept and the elk hunters were like hell yeah i get this I, oh man i needed that last year and yeah. so then that's kind of when it started kicking off with 2000 and january of 2010 and then later on that year dan is when i got the, the white tail buck, and then we kind of had another moment there of redefining archery hunting as I know it um, when I shot this enormous seven-point, gnarly, just gnarly buck in a milo field. Uh, my buddy was holding the, the buck decoy. We got to 60 yards, 70. He grunted at him. He stood up. Looked at us, totally pissed, and he postured in from seventy yards, and I shot him coming into us
0: at seventeen ish. Jesus! And so what's that, is that, that's that got to be a rush. I mean, something, it was something that freaking. Uh, if you watch the
1: video on my YouTube channel, you will feel the emotion because <laughs> uh, I got I get so much crap from a buddy of mine because it's not the toasted. I mean, we call him the toasted buck because I said, I toasted him like 17 times. I don't know how many times, but it was a lot. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and since then we just, dis- we discovered a new way to kill white tails. Yeah. And I've had uh since then in open country or even, you know, some of the river bottoms depending on wind, um, you know, I've I've decoyed in many, many, many whitetail bucks, little guys, spikes, posturing in, half racks uh, to some, you know, some really, really big ones. And, you know, and, and obviously, you know, the whitetail buck or decoying one to finish. And when I say finish, commit to you is the way to do it. But, you know, there's a lot of different ways to use the product. Um, it is bow mountable. You can clamp them to a tree. The clamp and the bow mount are universal for every decoy. Uh, the turkey, um, and and I've shot at everything and killed almost everything with one of the decoys in the bow mount. Um, yeah, but it's originally a handheld decoy because Dan, if you come out here, you're going to have to deal with the wind and and some and I don't get to pick the best days to go hunting i'm still basically a weekend hunter mother nature can kick your butt out here with the wind and if if it's november 5th and it's blowing 25 miles an hour or 30 it's november 5th right and you got to go and hunt yeah and so um it's not fun sitting in a tree stand when the wind's blowing like that deer movement is is maybe a little tougher and so going after them, looking, being, you know, searching for an animal in, in open country, which oftentimes they are. Um, and then having a, having somebody you trust, a buddy to go along with you, uh, to hold the, hold the decoy up in that wind is in, is important. And, and it's yeah. been, it's, it's, we've reproduced that setup many times.
0: Yeah. So this old, on- there's not only a bow mount for it, but there's also like a, a stick that sticks into the ground um, that you well, can kind of get. How, how does that work?
1: Well, okay, so I make a ground stake for the turkey, but I don't make a stick that sticks in the ground for the big game decoys. Okay. I make I make a clamp. So you find like a bush or something or or a branch, and you clamp. You slide the handle into this clamp, and then you clamp that clamp the decoy to a spot object and the clamp is like a heavy duty clamp again because we deal with a lot of wind so it can you know tolerate some in and withstand some some wind now obviously if it's 30 miles an hour 40 which it can be you've got to find some protection or because it won't hold up it's a silhouette decoy you know um but um if you get into some protection it'll still it'll still It's designed to hold up into some wind and, and, and hold the decoy stationary and appropriately.
0: Right, right. So, I mean, obviously you're the owner. Uh, Yeah. You're, you're the, you have great confidence in this product. Talk yeah. to me, talk to me specifically more in detail about how you use some of the, you know, how you use the the product. And because most of my listeners are probably whitetail hunters and th- they're from probably, more than likely they're all from the East Coast. Talk to me yeah. how s- someone from, uh, you know, let's say Iowa, Missouri, all the way East and South could use a heads up decoy. Well,
1: um. It would it would be somewhat different than what I would consider to be ideal, but not out of um, ordinary. So I think about everybody has some type of grassland, some type of ag ground, some type of fingers or tree rows or things that maybe or property that they would consider unhuntable because of a stand location. You can't put a stand in there. I see him out there running all over the place, but I can't put a stand up there. There's no place to put a stand. This is where my decoy equalizes that and neutralizes it and and gives you an upper hand purely during the rut. Um, and I don't like to up... I don't upsell people. I consider my white tail buck decoy to be the one to get for the rut, but cause I have so much confidence in it. So you can still do, um, the, the traditional tree stand hunting. Okay. You still, okay. You get in there before, you know, first light, maybe hunt till 10, 11. Um, and you can go to little pockets. If you have pockets on your property where you think there may be a buck and a doe bedded during the day. So, the way I see animals work or bucks, they, you know, tail bucks, they like to push a hot doe away or one that's close to estrus and isolate them from competition. Right. And, and so, and they'll figure out where those, the, where those places are and they'll push them up there. And a lot of times it seems like a, a great, you know, where you're, you know, if you think about quail hunting, <laughs> if you quail hunt, and you're hunting all these little, you know, grass ditches or, and, and thickets and stuff. That's where they are, in my opinion. Yeah. And if you get the wind in your favor and you can sneak in, you can clamp the decoy to maybe a limb 50, 60 yards away um, or have a buddy hold it or whatever. And you can do a grunting and a rattling sequence uh, in the middle of the day. And sometimes you'll, you know, if you keep doing that enough, eventually you're going to pull one out of there you know, you're going to hit the right spot. And, and a friend of mine does that to perfection. He will say, well, I didn't see anything today. So I'm just going to go and it's still around here, but he finds these little hidey holes and he cold calls, you know, and he'll pull in these bucks out of these draws and ditches uh, several times. And he, and so it's an all day affair for him with, and, and so he'll use rattling and grunting sequences um and when i when i rattle and when he rattles we hit the antlers together as hard as we possibly can i mean i can smell the friction of the sparks from the antlers i use the biggest antlers i can get so the noise so the sound carries as far as it can and then i make it so the decoy is visible so they when they're if they stand up or if they are coming from 60, 70 yards. They see the, you know, they see the antlers. And at that point, the only thing that's going to stop them is the arrow.
0: Right. Right.
1: And so that's how I would tell somebody from east of Salina, Kansas, maybe, or east of Topeka to hunt them. But there's still plenty of places out there that have a lot of pasture ground and a lot of, a lot of places. You know, I mean, if you can see, if you can see deer uh, in a in a pasture field or in ag ground, and there's some type of topography, you got a chance. Yeah, you have a yeah. chance.
0: So, you know. Y- you probably messed up a lot when you first started hunting with that that's just me. My my guess is that when you started using these heads up decoys um in your hunt, hunting regimen, uh, I take it there's there was some trial and error you had to go through. What were what was the error? What were some of the mistakes that you made um when hunting with a decoy that screwed you the most that my listeners out there could benefit from?
1: Well, I would say whether you're using a 3d decoy or a heads up decoy or uh, anything else, a decoy cannot take an animal by surprise. Yeah. It's gotta be seen. And so hiding it, getting in too close, taking them by surprise. Um, that is probably the thing that I, that I learned the most. Um, You know, there's nothing we don't really try. You know, sometimes they just don't want to have anything to do with it. That's it's reality. It's you know, it's a decoy, they don't want to have anything to do with it. I don't know how many times I've left the truck saying we're either gonna scare him or kill him. And and so, you know, it's so much every every situation is so different, but I would say by and large that the thing that we learn the most is Do not get too close to them. And and then all of a sudden you pop up a decoy and they just freak out there. There's this little buffer, a 60 yard buffer, 80. Sometimes it's farther than that, Dan. I mean, sometimes it's 300 yards, Yeah. but every, every animal does not like to be taken by surprise because most of the time they feel like they should have recognized that, that an animal, like a, a deer that size was going to, would, uh, they'd see him or, you know, or something. And, right. and so that is probably the biggest. And then, you know, I I'd say one of the most frustrating uh, aspects of trying to get a whitetail buck is when you have a satellite buck there. So you've yeah. got a, a dominant buck, uh, a doe either that's in estrus or getting close nearing estrus. And you've got a couple of pesky guys, harassing them darting in and out the buck that that dominant buck is not going to leave her and you so you got to work really hard to kind of get into bow range um with the decoy but usually when it's just a buck and a doe i mean then you're almost i mean the 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 six the percentages are so good if you can get to 60 yards or a hundred or 80 or whatever that he's going to come in. He's going to feel threatened and he's going to try to escort you out of there. Um, right. So um, the trial and errors are mostly just, uh, you know, try not to scare him uh, by getting too close. And every animal kind of has its own tolerance. At some point it's just not going to, it's either going to say, okay, I've had enough of you. I'm coming to kick your ass. Or I'm coming to check you out sometime like in a mule deer situation. Okay, I'm a, I'm gonna come over, I'm gonna check you out. Yeah. And or they're just gonna say, you know what, something just doesn't feel right. I'm shagging ass out of here. See you later. Right. And that's so we try to push the envelope to get that animal to do something. Sometimes it's what we want and other times it's it's not. And and having this screw it, it just might work mentality we've done a lot of crazy stuff and had some really cool interactions, um, with, with animals in open country and death. I mean, just so close and, you know, 10 yards. It's, it's just kind of neat. I mean, I, I don't know how to explain it. I wish everybody could have that sensation, but, um, you know, over the years, I, I suppose, you know, we just, it's a rutting, it's, it's, it's the white tail buck is certainly a, a decoy you, you want to use in the rut.
0: Right. So of all the, uh, let's say, let me start over with that question. You make a Turkey, uh, yep. a Tom Turkey, you make yes. a antelope buck, right? Uh-huh. Yes. You make a mule deer doe. A- yep. Yeah. And then a white tail doe and buck, right? And a mule deer buck. And a mule deer buck. And okay. a moose. And a moose now, okay? Yeah, a moose, a moose yeah. cow. Uh, it could be. Yeah. Uh,
1: because the okay. antlers come off the horn. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I, I the horn on the the, all my buck, my male decoys, the the antlers pop off, so you can gotcha. stuff them inside, and, and you know, so you could have a one antlered. I mean, if you think my, I don't want to sound like I know what I'm doing. But when it came to the whitetail buck decoy, we kind of had an idea of thinking how it would work and how we wanted to design it. We, me and the turd in my pocket, and some other people that helped that kind of had some input. We wanted to make it big because we wanted it to actually threaten a mature buck. We wanted to be a threat. We didn't want to be, yeah. you know, a little turd. Yeah. And And so that's kind of, we were right with that. And in fact, you can decoy any animal, any buck, with that big white tail buck. Um, I've proved it a hundred times. Later on in the year though, they do get a you know, a two and a half year old buck is gonna start getting a little gun shy because they've kinda had their butt whipped enough times that now they kind of figured out that, you know, probably not be so tough.
0: Right. Right. So So of but- all the of all the products that you make, what seems to what product seems to work the best as far as decoying in or getting or you getting closer? Uh, is is it the the whitetail? Is it the antelope? Is it the turkey? Um, where have you seen the greatest amount of success?
1: Well, probably turkeys because they're so prolific. Yeah you know, I mean, you're not trophy hunting turkeys. If it's when you're, especially when you're bow hunting, you know, uh, I, I shot at Jake this year and I was pretty damn happy, you know? Um, and so, and you get to, you get to use the decoy a lot during the season. So turkeys is probably, we've killed, I've killed more turkeys, and because you can shoot two of them, I could probably I could go to Nebraska or South Dakota and shoot a pile of them up there if I wanted to. But you can shoot a lot of turkeys. You got friends that enjoy that, and so we shoot a lot of turkeys with the turkey decoy. Right. Um, mostly with a decoy in the bow, or when it's really windy, we'll have somebody holding the decoy, and then we'll be in their hip pocket. Um, I would say my mule deer doe and my tail buck would be the next two. Um, and then I'd say my elk is, is the next, um, and not a distant, I sell more elk than I do anything else because of if they weigh less than a pound and they do pack and they are easy to use and they're ready on demand. I think people, people understand that now and they get it. Um, so because of that factor, I sell a lot of those, um, more of those than anything. Um, but I would say that an elk reaction is probably Not as slam dunk as a whitetail buck.
0: Right. Right. Um,
1: And I'm not as proficient at elk hunting. I've had a lot of, I've, I've had a lot of good reactions with, with elk um, when they have seen it, me personally. But, um, you know, like if I lived in Colorado, I'm sure my, I would say my cow elk is the best. My whitetail, I don't know. Right. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know what I know about my whitetail if i lived in colorado
0: right right so how you said some of these decoys you know they're fairly lightweight um i guess we never really got into the specifics of them uh what do they weigh what are they made out of and uh how how small do they pack down into
1: um they pack down uh fairly small um a little bit bigger than a dinner plate um Now keep in mind, my priority of making the decoy was not how well it packed down. It needed to be somewhat packable, but not how well it packed down. My priority was when it was assembled, did it have shape and contour? Was it representative of the silhouette of the animal that we were trying to decoy? So um, they weigh less than a pound. Even the buck decoys, I think they're still, maybe they're closer to a pound. They have a cloth, double-printed mirror image uh, print of an animal, dough, whatever. Um, And then inside the decoy is a semi-rigid, flexible plastic tubing that's uh, impervious to the elements, freezing temperatures, heat. Well, some heat, like antelope-type heat, it can bend. I've never... Technically, I don't know if I've ever had anybody say that the tubing bent, but you know, obviously, the plastic tubing when it gets 80 degrees or 85 or 90 is not going to be as rigid as it is when it's 20 degrees. Um, but they do, uh, they have, we have a handle that once the decoy is assembled and I'm looking at my decoys right now and every one of them is assembled. I seldom, seldom do I take them apart. Um, most of the time I just strap them to my back, Dan. And, uh, But there's a handle that slides into the bottom of the frame and goes into the decoy and connects to a fitting and you push this fitting in and there's like a little groove in the fitting and, or uh, in the handle and, and there's a fitting that has a notch and then it, that keeps the decoy from spinning in the wind. And, and then the same notch is on the bottom of the handle. So when you want to put in your bow mount or your, uh, or your clamp, it won't spin in the wind.
0: If it's windy, you don't necessarily want to attach it to your bow though, for fear of losing accuracy. Um, but there is options. You can have another buddy, uh, hold it, or you can clamp it into a bush or something like that. Right. That is true. Okay. Yes.
1: I've okay. shot some animals and killed them deader than a doornail, and probably some wind. I probably shouldn't have done it, but I I did it because I just felt like I could and right right okay. I had the confidence that I could do it. And um, but generally, once it once that wind gets to be fifteen or so, you're probably at the max of what the, the decoy holds up. It's just you know it's gonna put a lot of
0: burden on your bow. Right. Absolutely. All right. So, so we, you know, we've discussed heads up, we've discussed, uh, you know, how they're, you know, what, what they're made out of, how, and how much they weigh the fat, you know, kind of a little bit of the, the history of the, uh, uh, of the company, but let's talk about results. I I want you to share with us a story of maybe not necessarily ending in a kill, but ending in a, like, you know, where your heads up decoy performed absolutely flawlessly and you had a, you know, an animal very close or, you know, respond very well to that decoy? Um, I've had a
1: lot because early on when I saw how well the whitetail buck decoy, and I'll just use it as a, you know what? I'm not going to say, I'm not going to talk about the white tail. I'm going to talk about the most tragic hunt I've ever been on. Okay. I, to this day, it still haunts me. Um, we were tracing around Colorado, drawing blanks on a lot of different places. My brother and I, we did our best to get in the best shape we could. We geared up for all these, you know, spike camping, backcountry hunting type things. Uh, Went into, another, went into a spot only to find uh, an outfitter had, you know, kind of set up the city. And we were coming out as he was going in to take his clients. He knew that we weren't going in there because he was there. And so we were back in the truck, kind of upset that, okay, where do we go now? Not at him, but where do we go now? He, drew, he got on his horse. He dumped those guys off got on his horse, and we saw him coming across this huge open meadow. Two PAPS uh, uh, PBRs in his satchel gave it to us. Hey, man, I didn't want to chase you guys out. And I told him, I said, I'm thinking about going here. What's this place like? And he said, there's elk in there. I said, thank you. So we drank our beer, got our packs on, went into this place, got in there late, set up camp. Waited till first light because we had no idea where we were at. Yeah. And I was looking at my little topo map and I said, I told my brother, Jeff, I said, okay, we're going to walk up this trail about a a mile. And then there's this ridge. Let's get on that ridge. Let's get off the trail about three or 400 yards and I'll bugle and see what happens. He goes, sounds like a good idea. So we got up onto that ridge, a lot of deadfalls. and people haven't been in Colorado recently. It's, it's tragic. There's beetle kill. So there's a lot of deadfall now, yeah, um, I, I dead heard pines about that. everywhere. Oh boy. And it's hard to hunt. It is. It's very, it's hard. You can't get anywhere fast. And, uh, you move right to get a shot to your left. And now you've lost your right, your shot to the right. You know, it's just like that. And, so I rip off a bugle, and boom, one hits me right back. He was close. And I had my bow strapped to my backpack My because bro- it was my brother's day. I said, Jeff, this is your day. I'm going to call for you all day long. I don't care if we get in 50 bulls. This is your day. And so I called. He r- answered me right away. My brother drops to his knees because he was close and I said, Jeff, I see legs, and in through the sun, through the, you know, the the sun had kind of peeked over the top of the mountain, and was shining on that hillside, I could see the legs of that bull, he starts coming down, and he bugled at us, I could see him, and I rip off another bugle, challenge bugle, and I could see his head, and my brother is right down, you know, three yards from me in front of me and I could see that this bull was looking for us. I could see his head moving back and forth. And I had the decoy out and I knew he couldn't see it. And I kept moving it. I literally, Dan had this decoy above my head, sticking it way out. And, and this bull shook his head a couple of times, saw the decoy. He was at seven yards in a matter of three seconds. Wow. My brother is at full draw. And in the back of my head, I, was, I got an email from a guy that has been using my decoy in a, in a different setting than what we do. And he said his partner, once that bull gets into shooting lane, his partner moves that decoy, stops that bull dead for me so I can shoot him. I thought that bull was at, in his shooting lane. I thought it had cleared enough stuff. And so I move that decoy into my other hand and he stops on a dime. And that bull is 7 yards away from us. My and my brother is down below me. I'm looking at this bull, I see my brother a full draw, not shooting. And I was like, shit, Jeff shoot. Get him, shoot him, you know? Yeah. Quartering 2, you know. Frontal, whatever, you know. He's right there. You can make that's a shot he could have made. I mean, and the bull turned and shagged ass out of there and it was over. And he had like a 300 inch type frame on one side and like a four foot long straight pole off the other. We oh, got a good man. look at this bull. And he said, I couldn't shoot because right in front of that front shoulder, there was this, this one sapling going right, right oh, through his vitals.
0: That sucks. And
1: I, that was, you know, and, and when I tell people about hunting elk, I tell them, I said, you got to use it because when they're looking for something, they got to see something. If you don't show it to them right away when they're looking and they have an opportunity to kind of assess the situation and then all of a sudden you pop it out. Yeah. That you're not going to get a very good reaction. Yeah. And I could read that bull and that's what happened.
0: And just by chance that sapling was right in the way of his vitals. Yes man, that's a heartbreaker, but it proves that, uh, you know, everybody can use that, uh, that decoy just a little bit different for, you know, for, for sure. results.
1: Yeah. There is no one way to use my product. It's, it's really develop your own proficiency. And that's, that's kind of the beauty about it. There's a lot, and that includes taking it and not using it. Um, you know, I mean, there's times when you don't need a decoy and, You know, but there are times when certain, I I think our decoy can do a lot of different things at different times. It does, it's not just something to attract an animal. It can help you get from point A to point B, or it can take, it can distract, you know, uh, from your buddy who's kind of trying to crawl around the other side of this thing, or, you know, just, there's just so many different possibilities with the decoy. And and then, and there's, you know, you can put it in your bow, you can you can clamp to a tree you can handheld hold it you can hunt from a tree stand you can rove you can do whatever with this that's kind of right
0: there's just no one way to use it and we've used it a lot of ways right so you know we've talked about the product now and whatnot and uh you know maybe a guy or gal is considering you know no matter where they hunt or if they're going on a western trip for either mule deer or elk or whatever why should they consider picking up a heads-up decoy for this upcoming season?
1: Well, because there's no one, like I said earlier, there's no one way to use it. It's, it's a versatile product. It's, it's not designed to use one way, but it's also designed to create opportunity when opportunity is not likely. I mean, very, very few times are you going to crawl it in through a milo field or, or corn stalks and get a shot opportunity at a whitetail. Well, this could change everything for you. It could, you know, you if you could get sixty, eighty yards away from a buck that's rutting with a whitetail doe, and show him that decoy, he may be ten yards in front of you closing, and the only thing that stops him is a, is an arrow.
0: I mean, that's it. That's what can happen. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I tell you what, man, uh, I really appreciate you taking time to uh, come on the podcast, talk about Heads Up, talk about the success, and uh, good luck this upcoming season, not only uh, from the business standpoint, for, but in the field as well. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on.
1: It was a, it's an honor to, to be on your podcast. I, I enjoy the ones that I've listened to, and, and uh, I hope uh, people enjoy this one.
0: Huge shout out to Garrett for coming on the podcast and talking about Heads Up. If you're still listening, and hopefully you are, Heads Up has decided to take part in a giveaway this week, and uh, you will be, if you win, you will be given one Heads Up decoy of your choice and here's how you win. First thing you got to do is go to the Nine Finger Chronicles Facebook page and share the post that mentions this podcast. You got to click the share button and share it on your personal page. Then you need to go to Heads Up Decoy, like that page and comment Nine Fingers Sent Me. and By doing those things, it's pretty easy. You will be entered in to win the giveaway. Also be sure to pay attention after the 4th of July for the very first Lone Wolf giveaway uh, results. Uh, I will be digging through and kind of organizing it to where I can get a, uh, a name out of the hat at random. I'll be drawing it and then I will be making an announcement next week sometime for a set of four sticks that's the first uh, product that is uh, going to be give away given away and then the next uh, products are going to be the alpha, the climber and the assault and uh, I think in that order I'm not 100% sure but August 1st, September 1st and October 1st for those uh other than that guys follow me on facebook twitter and instagram be sure to go out and support the guys and the companies that support this podcast deer lab big horn outfitters lone wolf ozonix gearhead wasp exodus Ozonics, lone wolf ripcord all that all those companies uh Thank you to those guys because uh, if it wasn't for them, uh, my wife would be really pissed at me for spending this much time in my man cave. Uh, Other than that, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, I already mentioned that. Uh, If you want to be on the podcast, hit me up uh, either through Facebook or you can uh, send me an email at ninefingerchronicles at gmail.com. My kids are yelling. My dogs are barking. Uh, So that means it's time for me to go. (laughs) thank you very much for tuning in. Have an awesome holiday weekend. And remember, if you're going to be up in a tree, wear your damn safety harness. Have a good weekend.
1: Mm-hmm.